0: Let's start off with Charlie Brown today. I like his stuff. Um, He was up to bat. I don't know if you know about Charlie Brown, but he doesn't really ever seem to succeed at really anything that he does, and he gets up to bat, and he swings the bat. and Strike one, swings the bat a second time. Strike two, you know what happens. He swings the bat a third time. Strike three, you're out. And so he kind of moses his way back to the dugout and sits and sort of slumps over at the bench. And he says, Rats, I'll never be a big league player. I just don't have it in me. All my life I've been dreaming of playing in the big leagues, but now I will never make it. Lucy turns to console him and says, Charlie Brown, you're thinking too far ahead. What you need to do is set yourself more immediate goals. Pauses for a minute, looks up at her and asks immediate goals, Lucy then responds, yes, start with this next inning when you get up to pitch. See if you can walk out to the mound without falling down. Yeah, immediate goals. That would be a good place to start. You know, I don't think most of us, when we talk about the subject that we're going to be talking about today, see ourselves as big league players. When we talk about evangelism, when we talk about sharing our faith in Christ, most of us who have grown up in the church know about several big league players like Billy Graham. You know Billy Graham? Most of us do. There's a younger generation that their Billy Graham is uh, Louis Giglio. And there are several guys that you could probably name and I could name, but we're not going to take time to do that Who when we think of people who lead other people to Christ We have this idea, this understanding that these are the big league players And unless I make it to the big leagues, unless I can witness to and win as many people or lead or guide as many people as they have to the Lord Then my witness is just not worth it It's not that effective. But that in reality is not true because the reality is there are more people who come to faith in Christ through a one-on-one encounter rather than mass evangelism. I prefer one-on-one rather than a mass evangelism type strategy where a lot of people come and, and you give this invitation and somehow some words are said and people walk the aisle and they fill out a card and they go and speak to a counselor and then all of that. And I'm not Diminishing that in any way I think many of us were saved In evangelistic meetings Or maybe in a church setting like this But I believe one-on-one in the end Is the best route to go That's why we have what we call The next steps area over here Where people who make a decision Go to the next step And they speak one-on-one with someone To make sure to ensure That the decision is valid and, And it's the right decision Greg went through the next steps class And as a result of that We have baptized him today That's I think the best method So I think that really one-on-one is really the best method, and that means you. If you take a look at the passage that Pastor Andy just read just from just a little moment ago, we see that Jesus, in his final words to the disciples, tell his disciples to go and make disciples. Now, this is not something that was a choice for them. It is given in the form of a command. Jesus, for three plus years, has been preparing his disciples for this moment. They have been unaware of it the whole time. He's known about it from the very beginning when he selected them. And for three and a half years, they have been in the school of evangelism taught by Jesus himself. He has instructed them, not only by his example, but he has given them the message and the mission now in this passage that we read in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples. They are to go. And most of us in here have grown up in church. And we understand what that means. Although I'm not sure we really understand. What does it mean to make a disciple? Now, there are a lot of you in here who work at the airplane. Multiple places Sunoco uh, Hawker, Beastcraft, Spirit All those places We make airplanes And we know that we start with parts And we assemble those parts together And we make a plane We know what it means to make an airplane But I'm not sure we know what it means to make a disciple How do we make disciples? Now We don't make disciples. Let me be clear about that. You cannot make a disciple. Only the Spirit of God can make a disciple. However, you can join in the process of making a disciple with the Spirit of God as you proclaim, declare, reveal, and live out the gospel in a tangible way so that people, when they see it and they hear it from you as a witness... You're guiding them and leading them to that process where the Spirit of God then convicts them and then converts them. Then they make the commitment to lead and to place their faith and trust in Jesus, and then they become a disciple. So we are simply making disciples by joining then something or an activity that God is already doing. And what God has chosen to do for some unexplained reason is that He has chosen to use you and I Chosen to use us to join him in that process. So if we are silent or negligent in fulfilling the great commission of going and making disciples, then how then are they to be made? They don't assemble themselves. And so we often have a tendency to think, well, is it my responsibility then to then share my faith, to share Christ with unbelievers? Yes, it is. That is the command that he's given us. The call that he gave is not to know Christ, to follow Christ, and to serve Christ, but he has commanded us to share Christ. And unless we share Christ, listen to me, unless we share Christ, we are not a disciple of Christ. A silent disciple is not a disciple. We have been commanded by Jesus to follow his example. And Jesus primarily came to declare the message that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. And if you think you're a disciple and you can get silent where you work or silent where you live or silent with your neighbors or silent in your community about what Christ has done in your heart and life, then you cannot claim to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who not only knows, follows... And serves, but a disciple is someone who shares Christ with a lost world, with unbelievers who have yet to place their faith and trust in Jesus. To share Christ, that, that's what disciples do. And how many of us have been silent most of our lives, claiming to be disciples and not, not fulfilled, I believe, this greatest commandment of all in the last words of Jesus to his disciples go and make disciples. Now, I know what you're probably thinking about now. How do I do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you asked that question. You did ask that, right? I'm going to give you a very quick, very short lesson on how to share Christ with an unbeliever. Turn to Acts chapter 8, beginning with verse 26. Now, sharpen your pencil. Make sure your pen works well. I'm going to go through this very quickly because i got about... Uh, three hours, so we're gonna work on this very quickly. Some of you are asleep. Mike, do you hear that back there? Yeah, he was at an all night high school graduation party back there until three o'clock this morning, so somebody keep him awake back there. Anyway, how do I share Christ? Number one, the first principle in sharing Christ is I must welcome God's sending, I must welcome God's sending. I welcome the invitation that the Spirit of God Brings into my life to share my faith with other people Notice in verse 26 Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip That word now is an interesting word It means now as a result of what has Happened previously in Acts chapter 8 Now something is About to happen that is different than happened before What has happened before? We have And we learned earlier in Acts chapter 8 Of a man named Philip He was the first deacon that was selected By the church to serve In that capacity but Philip was more More than just a deacon, Philip was an evangelist. He was someone who shared his faith with unbelievers every chance that he got. And Philip, after the stoning of Stephen... Makes his way, led of the Lord To a distant place called Samaria And while in Samaria Begins to share his faith To share the good news, the gospel of Jesus And this incredible revival Begins to break loose and many people Are saved, I mean it's a phenomenal Time for this young man named Philip who's an evangelist, he is meeting uh, With great success This gospel message that he's proclaiming Very boldly and very Loudly to those who will hear And receive Christ, an incredible revival So much so that Jerusalem hears about it and they send John and Simon Peter up to investigate it. They want to know what's going on up there. Why are there so many people coming to faith through Philip? And so they examine it. And, and now as John and Sam and Peter are on their way back to Jerusalem, now Philip, though, with this incredible success in Samaria, now Philip gets this incredible visitation from an angel of the Lord. He is a messenger. Talk about getting your attention. If you were ever to receive an angelic visit, a message from an angel, do you think that would grab your attention? Has anybody got one of those lately? You have? You need some medication or you need to see a psychiatrist? I'm just kidding. We know you, Donnie, and you do need some help. But anyway, (laughs) just kidding, brother. I know I can play with you. But anyway, I mean, do you think that grabbed your attention? Right? An angel appears with a message from God. Do you think that would be a clue that you don't have to pray about it? You think that would be some way of knowing I know exactly what God is trying to tell me And what he wants me to do An angel shows up and talks to Philip And this message, notice what he says Rise and go toward south to the road That goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza And then notice what Luke tells us in the book of Acts This is a desert place It's a desert place I mean he's having this incredible success in Samaria And people are coming to faith in Christ And he's baptizing and he's having a great time Building this church He's a church planter, he's building this church Now all of a sudden God said Hey I want you to leave this incredible place in Samaria And I want you to go down to this road South of Jerusalem that heads to a nowhere place Called Gaza Gaza has been, already been destroyed and been rebuilt And so this road, there are two ways to Gaza And he is sending him specifically to this specific road Which goes through the desert At noontime which is the hottest time of the day. Talk about a miserable journey. At high noon, the hottest time of the day, he travels down this dusty desert road to Gaza. That's where God is leading him. How does he react? How does he respond? And he rose and he went. That's all that it tells us. What that tells me is that Philip didn't argue, he didn't debate, he didn't say let me pray about it, are you sure God that's where you're leading me, I'm not sure that's where I want to go, he just rose up instantly upon receiving a revelation from God as to the direction that God wanted to take him, leaving this incredible prosperous ministry down to a nowhere dusty hot road called Gaza, not knowing what was going to happen when he got there. I mean, there was no, no warning about what would happen. There was no indication as to who would be there. He knew that more than likely at noon, there would not be very many people on this hot, dusty desert road. And, and he, at his heart of hearts, if you ever met somebody like that, they would witness to a telephone post if it showed some light. Anybody know anybody, know anybody like that? I know some people like that. I mean, they want to know if any, everybody they meet, are you saved? I mean, Philip is one of those kind of guys and really is the kind of person that we should be. And so he's going down this dusty desert road to a nowhere place called Gaza without any promise of any successful ministry, any opportunity to share his faith, knowing there wouldn't, probably wouldn't be hardly anybody there, and yet God is sending him there, and he rises up, and he just goes. No questions asked. The first principle, I believe, of a good witness, anybody like Philip... Must have a welcome to where God is sending you. You, has, you must have an openness to the leadership of the Spirit of God. You must welcome where he is sending you. It may be a nowhere desert desert desolate hot place it may be to someone that you may not even like it may be to someone you don't know it may be to somewhere you have no knowledge about but when you are in the spirit of the lord and you are praying and you are looking for opportunities and the spirit comes to you and says i want you to go here what should you do if you don't obey you're going to lose the opportunity And I think most of us lose our opportunity because we're simply not welcoming to God sending us. We have preferences. We have desires. We have prejudices. We are lazy. We are indifferent. And as a result of that, we simply don't want to go where God is leading. And if you don't go where God is leading, you will miss out on this beautiful opportunity that God is setting up for you to share your faith and for those who will receive that witness, that testimony, to place their faith and trust in Jesus. And you will miss out on the most incredible privileges that that we could ever have as disciples of Jesus, is seeing a young man like him come to faith in Christ and watch the physical change that happens When he prays the prayer of faith And all of a sudden There's this transformation That can't be explained Right Greg? We were at the Starbucks And he was a different man sitting there He wasn't the same And and if if we hadn't met that day Which I believe was a divine appointment I've known him for a year and a half And the Lord said You gotta call him And I said okay And I called him and then we put off the meeting for a week And then the spirit said you got to call him So I called him and I said hey meet with me Greg He said okay you had no idea what we were meeting about Neither I did The Lord did Kelly was wondering why Why am I not going this time right Kelly But we had a meeting because it was between him and the Lord What if I had said no I'm not open to that today Where would Greg be and his wife and his two children And I think we lose opportunities because we simply aren't welcoming to the leadership of the Spirit of God to take us where God wants us to go. Not only should we welcome God's sending, we must also watch for God's activity. Watch for God's activity because when he sends you, God is actively already working there where he is sending you. That's why he is sending you to that person. That's why he's sending you to that place. That's why he's sending you to that location because God is already working in the heart and the life of the person to whom he's sending you to. Notice, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, it says, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopia, of the Ethiopian, sorry, who was in Charge of all her treasure Notice he describes very specifically This man that Philip is to meet He's an Ethiopian eunuch Who's the chief financial officer For this incredible queen In the country called Ethiopia It's not the Ethiopia we know It's a country back in those days That was called Ethiopia That was just south of Egypt Here's this man An incredibly wealthy Positioned Politically powerful Financially capable man who is well-to-do, who has incredible means, that God has been spending his whole life preparing him for this encounter. Don't miss this. This is huge. Because God's been working in this man's life from the, from the moment he was born. He gave him the education that he had. He put him in the position that he had. He gave him the power to be able to leave his Job to take this entourage with him all the way to jerusalem to worship god and so he God's been working this he's been orchestrating this this encounter this 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 time with philip this man's whole life For this one encounter God has been actively working in this ethiopian's life He had come to jerusalem to worship And he was returning God had given him favor with his queen and he took his entourage and all of his political power and all of his financial means and they traveled from way south of Egypt all the way up to Jerusalem for the specific purpose of worshiping God. We don't know how or why he came to worship Jehovah God but he did and he went there to worship now remember he's a Gentile so he can't go into the the place where the Jews worship only in the court of the Gentiles in the temple but he makes his pilgrimage up there on a quest for information to learn about Yahweh and to worship Jehovah God and now he's on his way back he's been successful why he went to Jerusalem because of his financial means God gave him the wealth enough sufficient enough to buy a copy of a scroll of the book of Isaiah this was no small expense this was huge it cost him a bundle of money to purchase the Bible and the book of Isaiah I mean we we can buy them for a couple of bucks can't we it cost him a great deal of money to buy this scroll of the book of Isaiah. People didn't just have an abundance of scriptures in their home laying around like we do. And notice he is seated in his chariot. And he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. Coincidence? I, I, I dare not say. I think not. It wasn't just coincidence. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't just some fluke of nature that he just happened to be making this pilgrimage. And on his way back on the same road that Philip was traveling on, I'm here to tell you, God has been working this man's life, his whole life, preparing him for this one single encounter where Philip is sent by the Spirit of God to speak to this man who desperately needs to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And when God sends you to someone... I want you to go understanding that God's been working in their life the whole time to prepare them for that encounter. It's not about you, it's all about him and what he's been doing to prepare them, preparing them for that encounter. So watch for God's activity. Number 2, witness. This is huge. Witness only when you're invited. Don't be a Christian jerk. Okay? Don't be intrusive, don't be invasive. Witness when you're invited to witness. Notice, now I'm going to give you very quickly a little, a little acronym called gospel, okay? I have six points of this, G-O-S-P-E-L, okay? Just G-O-S-P-E-L, that's how you spell gospel. Go ahead and put it in line, G-O-S-P-E-L. I'm going to give you six, six things for each of those letters. This is easy to remember. That's why I want you to remember this acronym, gospel. Notice verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go and join this chariot. Only go, G-O, only go when prompted by the Spirit. Only go when you're prompted by the Spirit. I had to use Greg as an example, but he and I have talked multiple times in the last year and a half. And I've never been prompted by the Spirit. We've talked about it, and we danced around the whole concept and talked about his relationship with Christ, but never go and meet with him at Starbucks in Derby and talk to him today. I, I really, on my way there, I was praying, God, you're the one that set up this appointment. Go when the Spirit of God tells you to go go over and speak to them when you are in a place in a situation in a relationship and you may have had that relationship for multiple years and all of a sudden you are prompted by the spirit of god to speak to them you need to speak to them that is your green light go when you're prompted by the spirit the o in verse 30 is offer assistance offer assistance when asked so philip "'ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet "'and asked, do you understand what you're reading?' Notice what it said, Philip. He ran over there. He didn't hesitate. He didn't delay. He didn't argue. But what if they don't? What if they don't receive me? I don't know who he is. He's a strange-looking dude. He may think, I'm strange. We're on this desert, deserted road, and it's hot. And he may think I may want, you know, something from him. How is he going to receive me? He's got this huge entourage. And then these people are protecting him, I'm sure, on this journey because he's a very highly politically influential guy from, from this this distant country and and you know he could have given god a myriad of excuses but he runs over to him and as he does he hears him reading from the book of isaiah and he asks him do you understand do you comprehend what you're reading notice that he asked for assistance do you need help too many times we come to people who desperately need to hear about jesus and 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 we don't ask him can i help you we're too busy trying to to invade or to argue or to. Where are you spiritually, in your walk and your journey with God? I I hear some things that you're speaking. So can I help you understand? There's a difference, isn't there, in helping people rather than pushing people. This is way off the track. But I remember one time when I was at First Baptist. No, I'm not going to tell you the name of the town, but. I was a young pastor back then and, and the, had these two guys, they were what I call redneck evangelist man and they were going to take me to this one guy, I was a brand new pastor, they had witnessed him a hundred thousand times, he had never trusted Jesus but the new preacher was going to get him to trust Jesus. It, it always happens that way and so we go and we sit in his little living room and and, and they're pressuring, and they're pressuring, and they're pressuring, and they're pressuring. And he finally does say a prayer, and we get in the truck, and we're on the way back. And they're celebrating this guy's prayer. And I say to them, he didn't pray that prayer. He did that just to get rid of us. He's not walking down the aisle. We never saw him walk down the aisle. He never came to the church. He never followed up on that commitment. Nothing became as a result of that conversion. I think sometimes we need to make sure that we're not pushing people to make decisions. We're waiting on them to make those We're there to help them, not to push them. Verse 31, the S stands for secure permission. It's important before you witness someone to make sure you secure their permission to witness. Notice it says in verse 31, and he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. He says, hey, I, I need some, I need somebody to guide me. Will, will, you, will you come and sit with me and, and will you guide me? Will you show me? Will you lead me? Will you share with me what, it, what this passage means? And he secures permission before he sits and he gets invited to sit with him. Verse 32, the P stands for once you now get their approval, their acceptance, their invitation to sit. Notice, point them to the Scriptures. Notice the Scriptures. I think it's very interesting that Luke records for us the exact Scripture that he was reading at the exact moment. Think it was coincidence? I doubt it. Now, the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe... His generation, for his life is taken away from the earth. He's reading from Scripture. And what we're going to learn in a minute is, is this is where the, the, the gospel message begins with the Scriptures. I remember one time when I was in a seminary and we were debating over the Bible when I was younger, and that was the debate back then. Was it an error and infallible that we really knew the Bible and blah, blah, blah. And there were some pastors that getting up and they were preaching from the, not using the Bible from, other things and there was this huge discussion this battle over the Bible and, and I was on the steps at the student center one time and, and this, this young seminary student I was younger then got in a discussion do I really need the scriptures to witness to somebody my, my testimony enough my, my testimony alone is enough I said really? I said yeah just my testimony should be enough I said well uh, how are they going to know that they're sinners without the scriptures I mean, isn't that the point of the scriptures that reveals that we are sinners and it points to Jesus who is our Savior, who died on the cross for our sin? Yeah, I mean, it, it's the scriptures that are that, that promised not to return void. And and the scriptures the Spirit uses to bring conviction and conversion. And that's where faith begins. It begins by hearing. And so we must begin with the scriptures. And the scriptures are important. And so Philip starts with the scripture that he is using. And you cannot have a powerful witness unless you open the scriptures and share the good news about what the Bible says. Who they are. What Christ did. And how to be saved So notice the E then in verse 34 Is to explore Explore their concerns At this point Notice verse 34 And the eunuch said to Philip About whom I ask you Does the prophet say this about himself Or about someone else He's letting the Ethiopian Ask questions there's nothing wrong with unbelievers asking questions. Don't get insulted. Don't get angry. Don't get hostile. Questions are okay. And this guy's asking a question. Now, why is he asking this question? Because according to, to, to modern Jewish theological thought This passage was one of three things Either the lamb that they were Reading about was a lamb that was Slaughtered on an altar for the nation of Israel Or number two the lamb Was a reference to Isaiah himself Or number three the lamb Was a reference to the Messiah Okay there are three Possibilities and there was this discussion among you know in modern Jewish theological thought these three positions on this scripture now if you notice this guy only selected two of them why I think because he was a Gentile because he didn't want to see this land that was being offered for Israel for the nation of Israel only because he's a Gentile that means it's not for me so he he pushed that one aside and he asked then Philip is it the prophet himself or is it someone else he asked a simple question And instead of condemning or being critical or condescending or too preachy, notice then the L stands for he led him to Jesus. You've got to lead people to Jesus. Then Philip opened his mouth. People, you can't lead anybody to Jesus and be silent. What if Philip a huh, interesting question. Let's debate it and discuss the three points and have fun with that. He led him straight to Jesus. I know a lot of people say, well, you know, my, my life will be my gospel testimony. I don't need to say anything to anybody. Well, you know what? You're a poor reflection of the gospel. Because I guarantee you're human and you're not perfect. You're flawed. You're going to make mistakes. How are they going to know that grace is sufficient to cover your sin as well as theirs? And Philip opened his mouth. Notice he began with the scripture He began with the scripture There is as much Gospel in the Old Testament As there is the New Testament And that's why we have The Old Testament Is to give us the gospel And he told him What did he tell him? The good news about Jesus He led him to Jesus The original Translation said He preached Jesus to him, That's the original language He preached Jesus to him He gave him Jesus And when we're invited And being led by the Holy Spirit In these divine encounters We need to witness We need to lead them to Jesus For Jesus is the only one Who can save their soul Number four We need to wait for his prompting Wait for God's prompting this is, this is incredible because If you get way ahead of God you're going to miss it I think sometimes when, when we get to this point Of sharing the good news with someone We want to hurry them along We want to push them in a decision We want to make them say the prayer and We want to get them to sign the card And in the bad and out the door And we're quick about it And we want to do it in a hurry But we need to just wait on the prompting of the Holy Spirit Because of it. And they were going along the road They came with some water But what I want to say by that is And they were going along the road Seems to indicate that there was a period of time In which they sat there and they talked for quite some time He wasn't pressing He wasn't pushing He was waiting Waiting for the prompting of God And God was prompting in the heart Of this Ethiopian That he needed to be saved I believe at this point in verse 36 He's not only convicted But I believe he's converted This is his conversion experience Because he's going to follow this conversion With a confession Will eventually bring about a change Notice in verse 36 And as they were going along the road They came to some water And the eunuch said See here is water you think that's a coincidence? At this particular journey, they're going along together, they're studying the book of Isaiah, and he's explained the gospel. And more than likely, in this explanation of the gospel, they're talking about baptism, where you are the old person, that was Greg. He was standing up, he was the old him, and then he was submersed in the water and he came out, a brand new creation. That's symbolic of what happened to him inside of his heart. That's why we do it in the water. And so they may have been talking about baptisms. We don't really know. But then all of a sudden he said, hey, here's some water. What prevents me from being baptized? He asked the question. I think he's convicted. He's wanting to make a decision. He knows that Christ was the Lamb of God who died on the altar called Calvary for his sin against God. And he's wanting now to be redeemed. And he's wanting to confess Christ. Now notice his confession then in verse 37. And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That confession is a personal confession. They're in the chariot. And he personally confesses his faith in Jesus. I believe. I put my trust and my faith in Jesus. That's his confession. It's a personal confession. But now notice his public confession. And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both, the, the, the eunuch and Philip went down to the water Philip and the eunuch And he, Philip, baptized him He dipped him under This is why we're Baptists We don't sprinkle, we dip under Because the word baptizo means to dip under and to come out And he dipped him into the water and they came out This was his public declaration of his profession of faith His conversion experience This was not easy for him, why? Because his whole entourage was there All his loyal subjects whom he had taken with him To go up to Jerusalem The soldiers that were there to protect him on his journey Because he was a wealthy man and had lots of wealth He obviously had a whole entourage It was no small thing And so he stepped out of the chariot After having declared his intent To follow Jesus privately In that chariot He then came out This is why I think it's important two things Those who say they profess Jesus as their savior But refuse to be baptized I question their conversion experience Because they're not following Jesus And there have been many people who have made a profession of faith Post their conversion They were baptized as children But they were not really saved when they were baptized And later in life they said Well, I really got saved at 22 or 23 or whatever But I don't need to be baptized again Well, you know, that that pre-baptism didn't really count Did it, Greg? Because you weren't born again and so I, I question those who, who hesitate. But I also question this, that, that baptism always precedes someone's confession. Not because baptism saves, because we're saved by grace through faith, in that it is not of yourselves, but it is the gift of God. Baptism is a public declaration of your intent to follow Jesus. And this was very public But notice the change that happened in his life in verse 39. And when they came up out of the water and went on his way, how? He was rejoicing. Man, he was as light as a feather. That weight was gone, the guilt was gone. The shame was gone. The sin was gone. He had, through his faith in Jesus, placed all of that past life on the altar of Calvary. And Jesus died for his sin. And he just dumped it all on Jesus. And he walked away from it guilt-free, cleansed, forgiven, washed by the blood of the Lamb. He was a changed man. And everyone there saw it. And everyone there knew it wait for the prompting of the spirit of God so that the spirit of God has time to work to do his transformational work number five and number last and we'll close with this walk toward your calling once you have finished that encounter because you see this was not the end for Philip it was a continuation of what God had called him to do Philip had already been to Samaria. He had already had incredible opportunities to witness, he had seen God transform a whole lot of lives. He was sent down to Gaza on this dusty, dreary, dirty road, not knowing what, and encountered this Ethiopian eunuch. But God wasn't through with him at that point. God said, Well, I'm done with you, Philip. And I think sometimes I think, well, I've, I've led one person to Jesus. Therefore, I've done my job. I've fulfilled my responsibility. And no, Philip wasn't like that. And I don't think that's the call of the disciple because God is preparing other people to cross our path at just the right time for those divine appointments so that we can speak to them. Notice what happens in verse 39. And the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more. Verse 40, but Philip found himself at Astus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. He was led by the Spirit once again from that encounter. And he looked for opportunities along the way in every city, in every town, in every place, and every person he came encountered with. He He was quick to preach and proclaim, to share, to witness the gospel of Jesus until he had reached the place that God had prepared for him In Caesarea You know we don't hear about Philip for another 20 years After this in the book of Acts Later on I think it's in Acts chapter 21 Where all of a sudden We lose sight of him And then all of a sudden the Apostle Paul and him Kind of have an encounter in Acts 21 So for 20 years It's believed that he had an incredible Fruitful ministry of continuing Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone that God had a divine appointment with But notice as we began the study with Charlie Brown I want to end with Charlie Brown because it helps me make my final point point. One day Charlie Brown was talking to his friend Linus about The persuasive senses of inadequacy he feels all the time I want that to sink in for a minute, I'm going to say it one more time One day Charlie Brown was talking to his friend Linus about the persuasive senses of inadequacy he feels all the time Do you feel inadequate all the time? I think that should be the standard walk of every believer because when we feel inadequate we look for someone outside of ourselves to provide what we do not have So that he through us can use us. Because if we feel adequate, then we're probably cocky and proud and arrogant and boastful and we're doing our own thing. But if we feel and have this sense of inadequacy, it kind of brings us to dependency, doesn't it? And so Charlie Brown is feeling this sense of inadequacy that just continues to permeate and develop in his life. And then finally Charlie moaned and he said, You see, Linus, it goes all the way back to the beginning. The moment I was born and set my foot on the stage of life They took one look at me and said Not right for the part Are you right for the part? I think sometimes we think that we're not right for the part You know, it's, it's, the pastor's right for the part I mean, we expect our pastor to, to witness our pastor We expect our life group to uh, facilitators to share their faith. We expect our deacons to share their faith, like Philip, but that's not really for me. I, I don't think I'm, I'm adequate. I'm insufficient. I'm not right for the part. And the reality that Jesus says that if you are a, a person that knows Christ, that follows Christ, and that serves Christ, you are the right person to share Christ. And in your inadequacies, we turn to Jesus, who is more than adequate. More than efficient More than sufficient To meet what we lack To use us For his glory To guide others To faith in Jesus I know you look in the mirror And say well I'm I'm insufficient I'm inadequate I'm incapable I'm flawed I'm not perfect Well Welcome to to the Disciple's life But if you'll turn to Jesus I'm convinced that God has Several divine appointments already Scheduled for you in the weeks to come And when those encounters Happen He's looking to you to say Lord I'm insufficient, I'm scared I'm worried, not sure how it's going to work out But I'll be obedient Thank you for this opportunity Now give me grace You're not responsible For the result Let me say that one time, one more time. You're not responsible for the result. You can't save anybody, but you are responsible for being the steward that God has called you to be with the most wonderful message of the good news of Jesus that our world needs. Well, we're in Wichita. Everybody knows Jesus. No, they don't. So who has God put in your path? Put in your life, put at the intersection of where you live. And He's preparing you and He's preparing them. He's calling you as He's preparing them to share the good news of Jesus. Let's pray. Good morning, good to see you today. If you're in the four, come on in. It's our privilege to start the service today uh, by celebrating the, the, the faith of Greg. He uh, placed his faith and trust in Christ just a couple of weeks ago. I had the privilege to talk to him and uh, it's my pleasure to be a part of this time. If we have the family that's here to celebrate and support him at this time, would you guys stand? The family first, there they are to my left, to your right, good to see them. Had his mother-in-law here just a couple of months ago, and and his sister-in-law, and now him, and it's our privilege to to join them. And if you're a family, spiritual family, you know Greg, and you'd like to show your support in his decision to follow Christ, would you join this family in standing as well? Greg, have you placed your faith and trust in Jesus and accepted him as your Savior and committed to him the leadership and the lordship of your life? Absolutely. It's my privilege to baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in his death, to walk in the power of his resurrection. Father, thank you for the joy that is ours to be able to participate today in this celebration of a new life. Thank you for coming into Greg's life, for putting your spirit in his heart, for cleansing him of his sin. And I pray that God, because you reside in his heart, that you would rise up, and help him become the man of God that you've called him to be. Thank you for the joy that is ours to celebrate this new life today. Go with him. Keep him close to you. Keep him in the center of your will, and help us as a family to support him in all of your endeavors through him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.